All right, well, here we are again. Um, always a joy to, uh, again, just get to be with you and open up God's Word and, and see what He has for us. Um, as I was preparing uh, for this sermon in particular, my mind was on superheroes. Uh, so Lily, li- little Lily had a uh, Zoom class uh, meeting like so many of your kids have had, and it was a superhero day, so they're all dressed up in superheroes, and uh, no matter what she's dressed up in, she calls it Iron Man. Uh, I don't know where she got that from. Uh, she's never seen Iron Man. Uh, I promise. Don't judge me. Uh, but, um, but uh, yeah, and so I, I was thinking about superheroes. So kids, I'm just curious, what is your favorite superhero? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. What was that? I knew, I knew everybody around here would joke about the... So I'm actually curious here. What are, what are y'all's... Jason, what's your favorite superhero? Iron Man, your favorite superhero. Dan? Wonder Woman. <laughs> Wonder Woman. Okay, awesome. Randy? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Chris? Hulk. Hulk? Okay. So, parents, I'm curious. Y- y'all can talk about... No, so, the Incredible Hulk, and that's my favorite superhero. So, the, I have different ones. I wouldn't want to be the Incredible Hulk, because that just feels inconvenient, all he has to go through. But he is definitely my favorite. Uh, I, I just really enjoy. Maybe he'll get his own movie thing one time, and uh, it, hopefully it won't be horrible. Um, but uh, I, I was, as I was thinking about superheroes, and I don't know if you've ever considered this, like why do we uh, enjoy, why do we want to be superheroes? What, it, what is it about superheroes that really we're enamored with? Obviously, they're beautiful and handsome. Obviously, they have superpowers. Um, they're famous. Uh, obviously they can, you know, some of them can fly and have the ability to leave hard spots or just travel whenever they want. Some of them uh, can read minds and so they know exactly how to respond every time. Although I think reading minds could get really horrible after a time. Um, I think uh, even some of them that are, you know, obviously have superhuman strength and they can, uh, you know, protect themselves and protect others or speed and accomplish so much in a short amount of time. And so there's all of that. And there's lots of reasons I think we admire superheroes. But I think we admire and long for superhero powers in some, you know, fun way. But I think part of it's because we really struggle to embrace something about ourselves. It's just the simple truth that we hate that we have limits. We, we, we really hate that about ourselves. Um, we hate our cognitive limits, that we can't think as deeply and as profoundly and as long as we would like to. Uh, We don't like our mental and emotional limits that even sometimes we feel like we can't and we really can't even control our own mind or our own emotions. We don't like that we have physical limits, that we can't do all the things we wish we could do. Um, We don't like that we have our uh, productivity limits, that there's a limited amount of time and a limited amount of time to get things done and we're limited within even that little amount of time that we have. Uh, And we really struggle Um, with the reality that we have limits. And we hate that there seems to be so much um, we can't do and so little time to do it in. And superheroes are just one of those ways that they're able to transcend the the natural limitations uh, that we all face. And that's at least one of the reasons we're enamored with them. But I think about in our day and age, and and different days and ages struggle with, with this, but in ours... I think we have found a savior for our limitations. It's not God, not yet, just in the introduction here. So, um, 
we actually have something far uh, better than a superhero. A superhero can save us one time and then he's off to save someone else, but that'll, that'll actually help us overcome our limits. Uh, something even better than God, uh, because God has created us with these limits. Uh, something that doesn't necessarily help us fly or, um, you know, by ourselves or give us superhuman speed, but it does help us exceed our limitations in many ways and, and try to blow through them at least. And this is, of course, technology. Uh, and it's trusty little sidekick, um, our smartphones. And I'm not sure which one's the superhero and which one's the sidekick. I'm sure they're both villains at times. Um, but, uh, but these are, are some of the things that, that we cling to and, and really look to to save us from uh, really the God-given limits that, that we all have, that we all have been created with. Even just consider that. Do you use technology or other things? in your life to try to overcome the limits that God gave you, that God put on you and me. Consider for a moment, how often do you rebel against the fact that you are finite, the fact that you are limited? Uh, what might it even look like to embrace your limits? Um, some of us might even need convincing that that would actually even be a good thing to do. Why should we embrace our limits? Isn't it good to overcome them? Maybe even some of you are baptizing them with Christian ambition, wanting to do all that you can for God while ignoring the very way that God made you. Um, so insert Psalm 131. God's exhortation to us to lay down sinful ambition and pursue a life of limitation. Does that sound kind of funny? Um, at some point, we might spend a little more time on just that, this reality, but for now, Psalm 131 will really be a great place to start as we consider um, just the reality that we need to lay down sinful ambition um, and pursue a life of limitation. Uh, one thing also I want to share before I read Psalm 131 is uh, I'll, I'll quote both of these books throughout uh, our time, but a couple books I've read just recently that have been really helpful in regards to um, understanding this this principle. One I've mentioned in some places is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John, Mo John Mark Com Comer. Uh, really easy listen. He's a, he's a preacher and he reads it on Audible, so if you have Audible, it'd be a really great book to listen to. Um, and then another one um, is The Common Rule by Justin Whitmill Early. And I just read that one on the Kindle, didn't listen to it. Uh, but it was actually written by a merger and acquisition lawyer. And so I love that uh, because it's a book about uh, accepting our limits and kind of pressing against the busyness of life. And actually, anybody that's a good friend of mine that's a lawyer are the busiest people I know. Um, and so I just love that a lawyer uh, wrote that book. And so I'd highly uh, commend those books to you, and, and you'll hear about them um, as, as we work through Psalm 131. But Psalm 131, this is a passage that kind of invites us just to, you know, there's a different tone in all of these psalms. I love, I love how the tone of Psalm 46 and Psalm 130 and 131 and even 121 next week, the tone's uh, a bit different. And 131 is, is a pretty big adjustment from the two psalms we've been in uh, so far. It's even in your, in your Bible, maybe titled the Psalm of Confidence. Uh, but it's almost one of those ones, like, like the passage that Randy called us to worship with, it just kind of invites you to meditate on it, invites you to kind of dwell on it. It just, it reads like that. And so um, let me just uh, kind of read this over you. Uh, maybe you'll, you'll look at it in your Bible as you follow along. Maybe you'll just close your eyes and let these words uh, wash over you. But just three uh, simple verses. 
um, Psalm 131. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I'm just going to read it one more time. Again, just, just hear these words over you. Just consider them. Maybe now that you've had a moment to hear them, maybe even as I read them the second time over you, uh, they, they can even convict or encourage or comfort, lead. So Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so in these first two verses, or in this first verse, in these first statements that that David makes, we we see him really kind of lay down what I was talking about is this sinful ambition. And we see him state it in really kind of three different ways. He's talking about his heart not not being lifted up. And in the Hebrew, as many of us have heard so many times before, that heart is kind of the, the central piece of all of our choices and thoughts and emotions. And it's basically him, who he is and in his essence, that he's saying he's, he's not being prideful and uh, uh, having this kind of personal sinful ambition that his heart is not lifted up in this way. And then his eyes are not raised too high. This is whatever your eye was focused on is what your energy was, was put towards. It was your goal. It was your ambition. It was your, it was your drive. It could have likely been his professional goals as a, as a king. It could be what you're wanting to do with your life, what you're, what you're considering to use your time and energy and your talent and your gifting towards. And he's saying, my eyes are not raised too high, that I've, I've laid down sinful ambition uh, in that area of my life, at least for this moment. And then obviously that I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. He's not caught up in this kind of arrogant intellectual ambition that he thinks he knows everything uh, about everything, but he says he doesn't. Um, and, and you can have this kind of pride, even if you think about one of the things that's really helpful to do with the Psalms, if you've never done it, is, is kind of read the opposite of the Psalm. Like, like to, to consider your life in this, you could just say, my, my heart is lifted up. My eyes are raised too high. I do occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And, and maybe depending on your stage of life, you think, oh, this could happen more here or more there. But to be honest with you, pride is quite comfortable in any stage of life. Uh, in any circumstance of life, pride finds a, a welcome home. I love what Charles Spurgeon says, uh, speaking of Psalm 131 and pride. He says, the proud man can exist in almost any circumstance. Put him in religion and he will be the best. Put him in riches and he will be boastful. Put him in rags and he can even boast that he is the poorest of poor victims and find pride in his getting dealt the worst hand. That that pride can find a happy home in any place except a calmed and quieted soul uh, before the Lord. And although this struggle is present really in any sphere, it really is. I, I do want to focus just for a minute as we consider this uh, on, on leadership. And, and not just leadership, but even 
uh, leadership within the church. Uh, headlines of any year um, will show that the place that should be most void of people with this kind of ambition is often most full of it. It's not one year that's worse than the other. It's just a constant. And as we hear more and are connected more, we just hear this kind of news early and often. People leading uh, in the name of Jesus, but with their own prideful, sinful ambition that, that uh, left unchecked takes over in all kinds of ways. Uh, even as I think about King David and his leadership, as we got, just got done reading 1 Kings and 2 Kings uh, not too long ago, I wish David's life was more full of Psalm 131 uh, kinds of moments. And obviously we see this taking place in his life here, but man, how he even needed much more of this and how we all uh, need much more of this. And even Psalm 130 that we talked about last week uh, is really what clears the way for humility uh, and leadership. As we uh, lay down, as we cry out of the depths of our need, as we see our sinfulness and we see the forgiveness that is available only in God and that we continue to run to him in that. Um, what, what happens somewhere along the way with every person that we've ever seen fall in ministry is they've stopped doing that in some small area of their life that grew and grew and grew and built and built and built um, and stayed in the dark uh, until it uh, explodes in the light and in pretty disastrous ways. But, but living by and, and uh, letting Psalm 130 wash over our hearts and our lives is what paves the way for us to uh, see and understand and dwell in Psalm 131. Um, and uh, I, I, so as we consider um, just leadership in uh, the church, as you consider yourself, obviously even uh, maybe as someone who's never even thought about leadership in the church, or maybe someone who greatly desires uh, leadership in the church, uh, wherever you're at in that spectrum, I think we should all be aware of the anti-Psalm 131 that's in all of our hearts. Uh, that we might walk in the light more and more and pursue this kind of life. When we're unaware of it, again, that's when uh, things can go really wrong or when we're aware, uh, but we just, um, out of willful disobedience, just ignore. Uh, so I, I want to just go turn to some kind of church leaders of old, one, one's current actually, and, and just listen to some of the things they've said. I've, I've listened to, I actually had to boil down quotes here because all the, the different people I've read throughout uh, the years and how much they have to say about this one, uh, one topic. But uh, start with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a, a pastor in Germany involved in um, uh, a, an attempt on Hitler's life and in the midst of all of that and it ended up being executed in a concentration camp really at the end of the war. Um, but anyways, he, he says a couple things about this in his book, Life Together. He says, The church does not need brilliant personalities, but faithful servants of Jesus and the brethren. Not in the former, but in the latter is the lack. And so basically saying that we don't need brilliant personalities, but just faithful brothers um, and, and how much that can be uh, sparse within the very church. He, he goes on to say this as well. He says, the question of trust, which is so closely related to that of authority, obviously, is determined by the faithfulness with which a man serves Jesus Christ, never by the extraordinary talents which he possesses. In church, we get that wrong. We, we do, we just get that wrong so often. We put our trust in incredible gifting and uh, ignore 
a devotion to Jesus. Uh, may it not be so. May God help us. I'm sorry, I'm going to go on. He says, never by the extraordinary talents which he possesses. Pastoral authority can be attained only by the servant of Jesus who seeks no power of his own, who himself is a brother among brothers, submitted to the authority of the word. So if we are ever are just around people, or if we ever start to see this in ourselves, where we've just started to feel like we're a little better than in some kind of way, um, that is the very thing we need to, to flee from. And, and so often, even in our church culture, that can be encouraged um, and overlooked. I love what I was at a, a conference probably eight, nine years ago now. J.R. Vassar, he's a, he's a local pastor here in Grapevine. I really enjoy him. And he, he was, had a lot to say, but he just asked this one question that was so good for my heart at the time, still so good for my heart, and maybe it will be for yours as well along these same lines. He just said, why not be content with whatever sphere of influence God has given you? It's just a super good question, just to ask and answer of yourself. Um, again, this can be within the church. This can be outside of the church. But, but what is it that, that makes us discontent with the sphere of influence God has given us? Um, and then uh, ending with Spurgeon again, uh, he was also real helpful in Psalm 131. I've read a lot about Psalm 131 throughout the years. Um, but Spurgeon says this. It says, ascertaining his own capacity, speaking of someone, sorry, ascertaining of his own capacity, he will be foolish if he aims at which is beyond his reach, straining himself and thus injuring himself, such as the vanity of many men, that if a work be within their range, they despise it uh, and think it beneath them. The only service which they are willing to undertake is that to which they have never been called and for which they are by no means qualified. What a haughty, a haughty heart must he have who will not serve God at all unless... He may be trusted with five talents at the least. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to, to learn from those faithful men as, as we consider what it, what it means to lay down sinful ambition. Um, and, and I think there's a, obviously there's a time for ambition. God gives us desires and give us, gives us gifts and there's times to pursue things. But man, we should be able to take a long pause and consider uh, the sinful desires that are caught up in our ambition. And Psalm 131 helps us do that. And then laying down of sinful ambition is one, not the only thing, but one of the main things we must do to enjoy a calm and quieted soul. Um, and so David goes on in verse 2 and says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And we've all seen uh, this picture and the opposite of this picture. We've all seen a child that's ready to nurse in its mother's lap, and it is the opposite of a calmed and quieted soul. Uh, it's a really good picture of us. It's a really good metaphor. But, but this beautiful picture here, a, a child that is, is full, it is no longer in need, but just simply sitting with the one that was so kind to provide. Uh, and a mother and a baby simply enjoying each other. The metaphor just highlights, one, our, our physical limitations, actually, and the way God designed us, even as babies, even as mothers. 
Um, a baby cannot provide for itself. Uh, it is completely dependent upon someone else. And a calm soul is one that has been satisf satisfied in the way God has made us to be satisfied. So that's how we pursue and uh, enjoy a calm soul. Not in the way we've devised ourselves to be satisfied, but there's a way God has devised us and planned us and made us to be satisfied. And we achieve a calm soul by understanding and pursuing that. But how often do we pause to consider that God created our soul to be satisfied actually in a particular way? Uh, we don't pause and consider so we get caught up by every whim our, our culture throws at us. Um, and we, we just think, because we're desiring this, and to be honest with you, we live in a culture that desires this dramatically, uh, but goes about it in, in every, um, you know, every kind of uh, different way. And um, some of the worst ways, and often we just join in uh, with the American culture, which is basically the American dream of a satisfied soul, and, and God's way of satisfying our soul uh, most often flies in the face of all of that. Um, and the reality is there are decisions we can make to orient our soul around how God has created us that will help lead to this calm and quieted soul. Um, but instead of pursuing these things or even pausing to think about it, uh, we often can also just spend our energy and our time trying to change our environment. Uh, we're like professionals at thinking if we just change our circumstances, we'll finally attain this kind of peace. We're like the LeBron James of that. Like we just, uh, well, maybe it's better since the last dance, I say the Michael Jordan of that. Because, um, we, but we just, we're so consumed with it and it's so subtle and so sneaky that, that we just think if we could just do this, our, our, we can live in this kind of, uh, and enjoy this kind of calm and quieted soul and, and how often we all know that it falls incredibly flat and, and leaves us uh, wanting. Or, or we just, and so we give up on it altogether and, and just settle, settle for a much a lesser thing, which is just a checked out soul. So like, okay, I haven't been able to achieve this calm, quieted soul, so I'm just gonna check out and uh, get the best I can uh, out of that. Um, but David, getting to a place where in the least that moment, he wasn't seeking his own selfish ambition, it took doing something. He didn't accidentally arrive at this state. He didn't stumble into a calm and quieted soul, but he actually says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have done something, I've pursued it, and I have calmed and quieted my soul. And I think as Christians, we really don't like the word do, and especially don't like it when it's paired with should or shouldn't. Like we should do this, or, or we shouldn't do that. I think uh, as a species, as, any, as often as anyone tells us we should or shouldn't do, do something, we just naturally rebel against whatever that is. But in ignoring what God says we should or shouldn't do, especially to achieve this calm and quieted soul, uh, we, we kind of realize that we're actually, we are doing something. Uh, we are choosing to do something. Um, and often it's a much lesser thing. And so with, with these last two verses, I'm, I'm actually just going to borrow heavily uh, from the common rule, uh, again, by, by Justin Early. And he, he suggests eight practices that, that are really helpful and help orient our life around who God is and, and what he's done. And, and this is just, uh, again, commonly known as uh, a common rule. Uh, I love it. And in his, the other book by John Mark Comer, he, he says this about a common rule. He says, what a trellis is to a vine, a rule of life is to abiding. It's a structure. In this case, a schedule and a set of practices. 
to set up abiding as the central pursuit of your life. This is a way to organize all of your life around the practice of the presence of God, to work and rest and play and eat and drink and hang out with your friends and run errands and catch up on the news, all out of a place of deep, loving enjoyment of the Father's company. And so as we consider just uh, four things that we need to, to resist, and then in a moment we'll consider four things we need to embrace, this is, can be helpful in us considering how do we orient our lives around pursuing this calm and quieted soul? What are some things we can actually do uh, to pursue that? And so in, in no particular order, here's, here are four things that, that might be helpful uh, for you um, as you pursue this. Uh, one, just fast from something for 24 hours a week. Just take a moment each week for 24 hours to fast from something in your life. Not, I mean, obviously, just the scriptures have a, a consistent call uh, to this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it's somewhat of a lost practice in the church today, or it can be. I see it returning more and more, at least among pastors and church leaders. So I hope it returns more and more as a church body that we would consider fasting from something 24 hours um, for each week. The elders actually just continue to fast on Tuesdays and pray for you and seek the Lord uh, in that way. And just in a culture of indulgence and in lives of indulgence, let's be honest, let's not blame it on the culture. Let's just talk about our own lives. In lives of indulgence, it's really healthy for us to put limits on ourselves just for 24 hours to say, you know what, I could, but I'm going to choose not to. And I'm going to choose a better thing instead. And I'm going to seek uh, God. So consider fasting from something for 24 hours uh, each week. Um, and then a common one we say all the time, but consider cutting down your, your curtailing your media hours uh, to some kind of number. Uh, in the book, he suggests four hours a week. It'd probably be really helpful to even know where you're at, like to consider how much media you consume, how much, you, how much social media you consume, how much media you consume uh, for entertainment. Uh, consider taking a log and considering what that looks like, considering how many times you play games on your phone or your iPad, social media. Um, and, and consider this, like with things we need to resist, again, sometimes we don't realize that when we give ourselves over to something, even our phone or our games, we're giving ourselves also over to someone who has plans for us and has plans for our time. And that person is not God. In this case, it's billionaires who are experts and designing things that will gobble every free moment of time up that they can and sell it to advertisers. And to think that we're not, that we couldn't, don't fall prey to that and to think that that doesn't have an influence on us uh, would be naive and, and be a bit arrogant. And so just consider what does it look like to cut down uh, some of the media intake that you take in uh, each week as something to resist. One of the things I've been really enjoying is he suggests, it's the third one, turn your phone off for one hour a day. Um, some of you can do more than that and, and you'll be fine. Some of you could really struggle. I really enjoy his honesty there. He talks about his job as a lawyer um, and how he's just got real times where that's, that's, there, there's a, that can be really hard uh, depending on what's going on at work and what projects are going on. But, but even having this rule means that on occasion, maybe you may break this rule, but it's the exception. It's not the norm. And so that, uh, could you try just turning off your phone uh, for 24 hours, or 20, yeah, turn off your phone for 24 hours a day, every day. I'm just joking, but I can't hear you laughing, so it doesn't, it's, it doesn't work. Um, so turn your phone off for one hour uh, a day. And um, 
I'm telling you, if there's anything incredibly soul draining, it's just giving our phones and people 24 seven access uh, to us. And, and really the, it, it just feeds the, the speed and pace of our life that wars against a calm and quieted soul, uh, that we're constantly going back to our phone, that it's constantly uh, coming on. Um, I, another thing I don't have written here, but I would just encourage you to consider turning all notifications off on your phone. So it's not constantly talking to you. You're not constantly drawn to it. And when you do turn it off, put it in a drawer, put it away somewhere where you can actually forget about it. And even just try it if you've never done that or haven't done that in a long time and just see in like five, 10 minutes, once you stop shaking, um, that it actually is, is super freeing. Um, and then another thing we should, uh, kind of consider a practice we should put in place to help us resist is also just consider every day going to the scriptures before you go to your phone. Uh, I, I just think about even David, again, the, the, the one that pursued this calm and quieted soul. As we think about his prayer life, as we think about his love for the scriptures, his writing of Psalm 19, where he just expounds upon the scriptures and how beautiful and awesome they are. I think in reality, many of our lives would resemble we think that way more about our phone than we do the scriptures. And, and, and it's, uh, to be honest with you, it's something we just need to acknowledge to some extent and, and begin to take steps uh, and, and reorient our minds, reorient the habits in our life where we can start to feed on God's word uh, before our mind is pulled in so many different uh, directions. And so as we think about the things to resist, as David calmed and quieted his soul, we, we go on to verse three where we consider what, what David meditated on. What, what kind of filled this calm and quieted soul? It's the, the fountain from which it all flows. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. As, as I was even mentioning, it may say in your Bible that this is a, a psalm of confidence. And we see here, who, who is that confidence in? It is, it is in the Lord. The reason we shouldn't hope in our pride or hope in our ambition or hope in our ability to figure everything out is because there is something unspeakably better to hope in. The, the Lord is the only sure investment of our time, the only sure investment of our hope. Hope in the Lord is the only honorable goal of our ambition. Hope in the Lord is what satisfies um, our desires for, for, uh, for our answers, for for as we think about the things that are too great and too marvelous for us, the only thing that can soothe our soul in those moments is, is hoping in the Lord. As we think about the, the desires of our eyes, as we think about um, our heart and everything that makes us up, the only thing that will really satisfy any of those things is hoping in the Lord. Again, not in our pride, not in our ambition, or not in our ability to figure everything out. But as Christians, we're not seeking often this calm and quieted soul as a means uh, or we, we shouldn't seek this calm and quieted soul as a, just a means to an end. Uh, this isn't uh, just an empty, quiet soul, but a full soul, a soul full of hope in the Lord. Um, I, I, I hope we can enjoy and a hope we can share uh, together. And so again, how, how can we order our life ar around this kind of hope in the Lord? So as we consider some things we should resist, here are some things that you just consider to embrace as you think about what are practices I could put in place in my life that, that, that will help me, one, show a life that hopes in the Lord, but two, uh, create a life that grows in its hope for the Lord. And so again, four, four things we need to embrace. And again, this is from the common rule. One, uh, just morning, afternoon, and nighttime prayer. Just consider, consider scheduling times of prayer. I remember reading Eugene Peterson, and he said he would always put like times of prayer 
on his calendar. And so when people would ask him, he's like, hey, can I schedule a meeting with you at that time? And he'd be like, man, I've got another meeting at that time. And, and some of us would feel actually bad about that, but don't we? Don't we have another meeting during that time if, if we're longing to, to go before the throne of God um, and pray to him? And so even, uh, again, this is written by a merger and acquisition lawyer who works many, many hours and, and is still able to pursue morning, uh, midday, and nighttime prayer. So just something to consider as just kind of markers in your day to reorient your heart and mind towards hoping in this God and even having a calm and quieted soul in the midst of maybe a really hectic uh, day, which is surely what King David was in the midst of uh, as well. Another thing to embrace is one meal with somebody, someone every day. So every day having a meal with someone. Families, if you don't do this, you, you just have to start. You have to try. You have to move towards this. If, this, if you're maybe in the, the habit of just, you know what, you just chill out and watch TV or you've got older kids and you all just do your own thing and eat real quick, and you just got to make a, a hard turn there and enjoy. I just think of how much we've laughed so hard over the dinner table, what stories have been told over the dinner table, bonds that have been forged over the dinner table. But then also if you're just a, a single man or woman, this one could be harder if you live alone, especially right now. But if you have roommates, have you considered eating together with him? Have you considered uh, Justin Early? He actually gives this example of they moved to D.C. when he was going to law school and they had to live in this really cheap place. But the one rule of that place was that they had to be present for dinner every night. And he said people he would have never gotten to know very well, he became deep friends with because just that regular habit of eating uh, uh, around a table together with others. And so even if you're a single man or woman, this can actually be really important and really pivotal and pivotal and helpful for uh, your life. Consider eating a meal with someone uh, every day. Um, and then again, obviously right now, if, if you're a single and you live alone, uh, this can be hard for you right now. But maybe even, maybe even if you're single, maybe you'd be willing to ask a family, you know, in the midst of this, or if you can, you know, I don't know, you figure that out. But when life is normal, uh, you can ask a family, hey, can I have a meal with y'all once a week? Uh, a close family that you're close to. Um, and see if they'd be willing. I mean, obviously they could say no. It'd be weird. It'd be rude. But they could. And so um, then you'd just go to another family and never talk to that other one again. I'm just joking. That's bad. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And, you know, reconcile and all of that. Uh, but anyways, uh, have one meal with someone every, uh, every day. Try to do that um, as much as you can. And then one of the things, this is uh, just actually really new for me and Ginger, is embrace uh, a Sabbath, a, a very true day of rest. To be honest with you, me and Ginger are, are two weeks into this. So we, this is, we've both kind of, we've both read uh, The Ruthless Elimination or Hurry, which is really helpful, gave us some common uh, goals and language and, and desire, and, and really the Lord used that. And so it's really helped us, and it's been really, really sweet. Um, and so I would just encourage you to think about what an actual day of rest is. It's not just a day off where you get other stuff done, but actually a day of resting in the Lord, pursuing him, enjoying the good things that he's provided uh, for you, but, but really considering uh, resting in him. And, and maybe even for those days, having some of those higher restrictions about not being on your phone and not checking certain things so you can uh, spend time with each other and have good food and good drink and good conversation. Uh, and then lastly, uh, weekly, have one hour of conversation a week with a friend, uh, just to be embodied, be present, and to be 
uh, with people, that you're talking deeply about who you are, someone's getting to know you. Um, I, I love, uh, I, he may have got this from somewhere else, but in this book, he talked about friendship being uh, vulnerability over time. That, that's what friendship is. And so someone one hour a week, where maybe it's little by little, maybe it's much, that there's just, you're vulnerable with and, and time continues to stack up and you get to know each other and enjoy each other. So um, consider that. So in regards to all this, in regards to Psalm 131, uh, just some things to consider as you think about including some of these uh, as a kind of a common rule in your life. One, just maybe if this is all kind of overwhelming, consider adopting one or two of these things uh, into your life and just starting from there. Um, obviously, you know, the one hour a, uh, a day of phone could be really helpful. The scripture before phone, uh, those two things in and of themselves could be really helpful uh, for, for anyone. Um, also, uh, be gracious with yourself. Like, be really gracious with yourself in all of this. I felt that much of this today. Um, but don't confuse grace with uh, not pursuing God in a disciplined way. We've just done that. We've messed that up. We've just attached these kinds of things to legalism, and and, and it's just kind of absurd. None of these things earn what Jesus has done for us. Uh, None of these things earn what Jesus has done for you. But these are ways you can orient your life around enjoying what Jesus has done for you Um, and living a life that actually shows. And um, so often, if if our life just looks like everybody's life around us, then it, we really have the same values of everybody's life around us. But to form our habits around the fact that God has loved us and we want to love him and love others, these are what some of these things hope to do. So don't confuse grace and uh, legalism. Be gracious with yourself, uh, but these are not legalistic pursuits or they're not even of themselves. Um, and then realize this, that you already have a functional rule of life. We, we all do. Uh, I got this um, Trinity Presbyterian Church, Brian Davis, a church that meets uh, downtown Fort Worth. Uh, they, he's, he's done a lot of work on all of this. And so I, I stole a couple of these points from him. This one's his. He says, the problem is that it's probably not conscious and intentional, talking about your functional rule of life. We unconsciously engage in all kinds of practices every day that shape our hearts, habits, and loves. As Annie Dillard says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Like just, that's a, it's a very simple and very deep statement. How we spend our days, of course, is how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. And so a schedule defends us from chaos and whim. Uh, it is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor and with both hands at, at sections of a time. Uh, the advantage of an intentionally planned rule of life is that it guards us from living lives that we don't actually want to live. It helps us organize our days in a way that keeps us enjoying and abiding with Jesus in the central place. Um, two more just really quick thoughts. Uh, one, a rule of life provides the structure we need in this kind of crazy time. Like even as you, as you think about just turning your phone off and you think about unplugging for any amount of time, how important is that even now when we're like hyper plugged in uh, to everything? Um, our normal schedules and rhythms of life were thrown off completely when this quarantine uh, began. And so we have both a need and an opportunity to put some key practices in place um, and this rule of life can just kind of hit us at the right time. I felt that I felt like both of these books have just been incredibly timely in my life, and timely as I've we've come to uh, Psalm one thirty one. Um, 
And so finally, in all of this, just consider that Jesus and who he is and what he's done. That, that, that Jesus lived out Psalm 131 perfectly. He, he lived it out perfectly so that we could have Psalm 131 moments in this life. He's the only reason we can have any of that. And so we could also be forgiven for our not-so-Psalm 131 uh, moments in this life that we all live and experience. And then he's guaranteed us an everlasting Psalm 131 kind of life. Jesus is the only one who has never had his heart set on this prideful, uh, sinful ambition and earthly matters, refusing even the offer of the devil so that he might give the earth to us. He's the only one who had perfect ambitions that led him to a gruesome death on our behalf, on your behalf. He's the only one that gave up what is great and marvelous to live among sin and death, ultimately becoming sin in his death that we could be free to enjoy the presence of our majestic God. And finally, he's the one that has never lost hope in God, always submitting to the Father's will for him, even at the cost of his very life. As we think about even Jesus and who he is and our inability and his, his great ability, as much as we can even have the cognitive ability to order our life around these as something to be thankful to him for. But there's times in life when even that slips by. I remember I was reading a, a Lutheran book a while back with uh, the family and there was this line in it by um, the, uh, the author. He was speaking of uh, one of his friends who was on his deathbed and his son asked him, said, Father, are, are you thinking of Jesus? He said, I, I can't, but I trust he's thinking of me. And so we, we trust about who Jesus is and what he's done in his capability, not in our own capability. Um, and in that, we can long for and pursue Psalm 131 kinds of moments uh, in, this, in this life. But, but would the Jesus of Psalm 131 would that be what looms largest in our life? Who he is and what he has done for us, that we could have a calm and quieted soul in him. Um, and that is where we can find uh, this eternal kind of hope. And then I love just this last exhortation, this story in, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever, from this time forth and forevermore. So, brother and sister, let me just say that. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Where, wherever you are, start hoping in the Lord right now. Keep hoping in Him and continually return to this hope from this time forth and forevermore. Let me pray for us towards that end. Father, I just thank you for this picture. I just thank you that you are the God of Psalm 131. A God that, that longs for us, your children, to, to sit on your lap and enjoy you and abide in you. And so, Spirit, would you, would you move in our hearts? Would you make simple things that, that really we know we should pursue and know what would be good for us, but seem dreadfully hard? Would you just help us? Would you bless our meager efforts? Would you help us see fruit? And by fruit, I mean sweet, enjoyable time with you. 
sweet, enjoyable moments in life that we can look to you and be grateful for, even if it's just on our front porch, sitting and looking at your creation, if it's praying and seeking you, if it's in your word, if it's talking with a friend, maybe a friend that knows and loves you, maybe one that doesn't, but just enjoying the gift of friendship and people and creation and beauty. God, you have provided abundantly for us. And so we just say that. And in all of that, we just ask for you to forgive us when we, when we cling to things that are so lesser. When, when we take these things that you provided and turn them in uh, to what they can never be, which is you. So God, we just confess we struggle with that. And you see that, you know that, and you sent Jesus for that very reason. And so would you help us cling to him? Would you help us trust him? Uh, would you help us enjoy his abundant forgiveness for us and wash under, wash under his forgiveness early and often as we stumble along the way? Um, so we need your help. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.